today. It's good to see you. If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, my name is Randy and I serve as the lead minister here at the church. It's just uh, a joy to be with you here on this Resurrection Sunday. And if you're feeling new here at the church, um, wherever you've been, we're glad you're here. Wherever your home is, wherever, wherever, you're here, and that's not by accident, that's by design. And so we want you to, we want you to uh, feel at home here in the church family, we want you to meet God. And if you are feeling new, we have a, we've just got a special um, hospitality event that we have prepared for you immediately after services if you go through these glass doors and to the right, uh, we've got a 20-minute a, a hospitality event called Connection Point. Connection Point. And uh, we've got some donuts and coffee, and uh, our staff will be uh, there in the fireside room, and we would just love to introduce ourselves uh, to you and meet you and just kind of give you a, a, just a, a quick briefing of what the church is about, and that's right after services. Um, uh, I'm going to be elsewhere in the foyer, and if you have, uh, if you, so if you're new, go, I would ask you to go to Connection Point, and then if you have time, I'd love to meet you out. There's some couches and peace, hope, and joy, I think, hanging uh, there on the wall, and that's kind of where I'm, I'm going to be, so uh, we just want you to very much feel at home here at the church. Amen. Also, let me just rush to thank uh, Leroy Candler and Justin Craig and Kevin Jackson and Eric Snodgrass for preaching in my absence. Amen. Oh, amen. Amen. So for some time now, the elders uh, have just been gracious enough to give me some study break time. And then what Sarah and I do is we combine that with vacation. And so it just gives a it's a nice season of uh, respite and uh, readiness for this upcoming ministry year. And so uh, we've got our sermon series lined out through Easter. So I hope you like the book of Hebrews. All right. So, oh, it's, I, 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 I can't wait to get into it here. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful message for our times. But um, I, I just appreciate this time and... Uh, and I think it's good for the church family to hear voices of other very capable preachers. And so that's what we have heard here in the past few weeks. Um, so regarding vacation, while we were away, uh, we went, Sarah and I went up to a familiar place in the country called Door County, Door County, Wisconsin. Uh, this year we went up to a place way at the tip of the peninsula there called Gills Rock, Gills Rock. And uh, it's, it's kind of uh, remote, uh, but we... Uh, you know, rode bicycles, and we read, and just relaxed. Uh, we uh, had coffee, uh, cherries, uh, smoked salmon, and uh, 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 killer cinnamon candy. So it's 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 the four essential food groups of of Door County. Uh, but we were able to spend a week up there. The weather's fantastic up there this time of year. Uh, after we came back home, we spent some time with our grandchildren. Uh, Audrey and Elias, and we took them to a place called uh, Grady's 
fun park, and uh, we went there last year, and so we went again this year, and they've got these, these little different rides, and so uh, there's this one particular ride, and uh, I uh, was on it with Audrey and Elias. Do we have that on the next, uh, it's coming up, there it is. So, um, I do not recommend a roast beef sandwich before you get on that thing. Just, I'm just saying, okay? That's all I want to say about that. But uh, Elias didn't seem, didn't seem to bother him any. But uh, anyway, so we, had, we had a fun time with them. And, and then uh, just kind of regarding the readiness and preparation time uh, for this upcoming ministry season, um, Sarah and I, as, as we did last year, uh, we went to Dallas, Texas, um, to Concord Church, uh, to the E.K. Bailey Preaching Conference. Uh, E.K. Bailey was a pastor at Concord Church in Dallas, Fort Worth, and in, uh, he planted the church in the 1970s. In 1996, he started an expository preaching conference. And uh, so every year they pick a book of the Bible or particular books of the Bible. This year it was the Gospels. It was on Christ-centered preaching. Uh, last year it was on the Old Testament prophets. A couple years ago it was Ephesians. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a clinic and conference and singing and preaching. And it was just rich. Uh, uh, so E.K. Bailey died in 2003, and yet the conference is as strong as ever, uh, very capable leadership under the current pastor, Brian Carter. There were 1,200 pastors there, uh, and uh, so we were just, uh, just a rich, rich time of learning and just hearing just biblical, Christ-exalting preaching. E.K. Bailey Preaching Conference. E.K. Bailey, before he died, wrote a book called Farther In and Deeper Down. Farther In and Deeper Down. And he tells a story about a Texas rancher who needed a well drilled on his property. And so he brought a contractor out and the contractor came out, located where the well was going to be. And the contractor said, look, I charge by the foot. So they started digging, the contractor did, and not far down they hit water. And the contractor said, well, this is good. This well should last you through normal times, good years. But then the rancher asked, well, normal times? What about abnormal times? Well, well, now this is for normal times. Yeah, well, but what if we have a what if we what, what if we have a 50-year drought? Eh, what if we have a 100-year drought? No. No. No, this well will not be deep enough for a dust bowl drought. It just won't. And the rancher said, "Well, you need to keep digging uh, because I need a well not for normal seasons or normal depths 
or normal ranges or normal environments. I need a well for a dust bowl drought because I don't want to lose the ranch. And the contractor said, well, if I do that, it's going to cost you more because every time you go deep, it costs you something. And the rancher said, I don't care how much it costs. There's no point in drilling a well if you can't get to water when you need it most. You need access to the aquifer in your worst case scenario. And so he told the contractor, I want you to go farther in and deeper down. Now today we gather as a church family and I want us to go farther in and deeper down. I want to drill deeply into God's word where we will find refreshing, hydrating, life-quenching water for our souls. Do you want some of that today? Well, meet me in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. If you um, do not have a copy of God's Word, we have copies of God's Word here in our worship center, and you may take it as a gift from our church family, and you will find in the, in the church Bibles Hebrews chapter 1 on page 1001, 1001. And Hebrews is a message for our times because it was written to a congregation that was experiencing a dust bowl drought, a 100-year spiritual drought. It was a house church that was languishing and it was dehydrating and it needed the spirit-quenching, spring-like water of Christ's Word. And if you're here today, and you're languishing, and you're suffering from spiritual dehydration, and if you're thinking, I'm in a drought, it was all that I could do to get here this morning. And if that's you, and you're here, you're answered prayer. Because at 7 o'clock, when Neil and I met, we prayed that God would wake you up and bring you here. And He has. Because I want you to taste some life-giving, spring-like, hydrating water of God's Word in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hear these words from the Word. Long ago, at many times... And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins 
He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is God's word. Amen. It's been called one of the most artfully constructed sentences in the Bible. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Uh, it's one long sentence, verses 1 through 4. Sorry about that, English teachers. But this is just this one long sentence. If we were to hear this in the original Greek language to which we received this, 2,000 years ago. It's just one, one long sentence. And, and, and you'll notice, especially if you read elsewhere in the New Testament, so like if you have your church Bibles, you have the beginning of Hebrews here, but then just right across the page, you have the letter of Paul to Philemon. And if you look at the introduction to Paul's letter to Philemon, you'll see how different it is. You know, Philemon begins, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. So there's the author of the letter, and then the recipient of the letter, and then there's generally a greeting, a grace and peace greeting. That's not this, is it? And also, it's not like uh, one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the, 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 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. That's how Matthew starts. That's not how this starts. This starts, this starts like a sermon. I smell a sermon. There's a, that's what this is. It's a sermon. It's a, it's a sermon manuscript. And specifically, technically, it's called a word of exhortation. A word of exhortation. That's how Hebrews identifies itself in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. Bear with my word of exhortation. That's New Testament speak for sermon. That's the New Testament way of calling a sermon a sermon. Word of exhortation. And then and 1322 says, after 13 chapters, uh, it says, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Only a preacher would say that. <laughs> huh? You have no idea how quickly time goes on this side of the pulpit. Briefly, briefly, you see, the preacher wrote that. It's a word of exhortation. It is. So, so if Hebrews is a word of exhortation, what's the word? Well, what's the word of exhortation that we are introduced to in this sermon? What is that word? What is that word? And then why was that word the word? See, what and why? That's where we're going this morning. I want to answer two questions about these four verses, which summarize really the entire book. What is the word of exhortation and why that word? You ready to go with me? You want to walk with me? Amen. Amen. 
Well, first the what. First the what. It's so like a motion picture movie soundtrack that's repeated so many different ways throughout the movie. Hebrews has this one theme, this one big idea, and here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Jesus is the best sermon God has ever spoken. That's, that's it. That's the book of Hebrews in a sentence. Jesus is the best sermon God has ever spoken. So, so the sermon to the Hebrews starts with the God who speaks. The God who speaks. The one long sentence, English teachers, two major statements. God spoke. God has spoken. Hebrews begins with the God who speaks. This four-verse single sentence makes two key statements. God spoke. God has spoken. Now, it doesn't say God replied. It doesn't say God answered back. It says God spoke. Church family, we worship the God who speaks. The God who initiates. The God who takes the initiative. God is not a distant deity. He's not silent. He's not unattached or uninvolved. He is the God who speaks. Our God is a talker. And he speaks. He debates. He implores. He persuades. He commands. His word is living and active because he is living and active. And his words create the sound waves which roll over the stillness which disrupts the silence. And make no mistake, church family, when our God speaks, things happen. And that phrase, long ago, God spoke, takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So so each day in this creation anthem of Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and his words generated reality. I like the way the preacher Gardner Taylor put it. Gardner Taylor once said, When God said let, everything that is not started straining to become. Yeah. God spoke. Long ago, and many times, God spoke. He spoke to Abraham when he said, I want you to go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. God spoke. Long ago, God spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, there's some labor negotiations that are breaking down. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and you tell him to let my people go. And then God spoke. He spoke his law to Israel through Moses. He's the God who speaks. Long ago, 
God spoke to Deborah in uh, Judges 4 and 5 about Barak's victories over Sisera. Long ago, God spoke poetic lyrics through David, and we now have the prayer book of the Bible, the book of Psalms. God spoke. He spoke wisdom to Solomon, and we have the book of Proverbs. He spoke through Elijah, through Jonah, through Isaiah, through Ezekiel, through Jeremiah. He spoke through John the Baptist. God spoke long ago. He's spoken many times and in many ways, in many ways. So, so sometimes God spoke through a dream. Sometimes God spoke through a vision. Sometimes he spoke by a storm. Sometimes he spoke by a burning bush. Sometimes he spoke, he spoke through a still, small voice. <laughs> One time he even spoke through a donkey. Balaam's donkey. Balaam was just beating that donkey, and that donkey finally said, What are you beating me for? Can't you see that angel ahead of you? And without even thinking, Balaam just talked back. God spoke. These special divine appearances are called, here's a word for you, theophany. Theophany. Thea, God, phany, appearance. God, appearances. These divine appearances are called theophanies, like the mysterious fourth person in the fiery furnace of Daniel chapter 3. You read your Bible and you hear how God spoke in different places, through different personalities, and in different portions. In chapter 1, verse 1, in many ways, literally means in many portions, in many uh, uh, parts, in many fragments. There it is. There it is. The Old Testament gives us the fragmentary nature of how God spoke. And you can sense that, can't you? When you're reading the Old Testament, you're, you're sensing how fragmentary God is. He didn't speak the whole Bible in one session. He didn't deliver to your front porch a perfectly bound Bible. Instead, his word came in pieces and in parts. And so, and as you're reading these various parts through many prophets and peoples and times and eras, you can't help but think, how is all of this going to be resolved? How is all of this going to be put together? And then the answer comes by means of this all-important word, which is in verse 2. It's a small but mighty word. You see it? You probably skipped over it. It's the word, but. But. The, so the preacher in Hebrews knows that to say the word, but, is to step into another realm. Because in the Bible, the word, but, is a doorknob from the realm of the finite, frail, and fragmentary human effort into the realm of unfathomable, unimaginable, incomprehensible realm of God. It's just a small word, but it ushers us into a, a new reality, God's reality, which is why Jesus used this word, but when he preached, he said, you have heard it said, 
But, there it is, you heard that sermon too. But I say to you, the Apostle Paul knew how to use this word in Romans chapter 3 after telling us just how utterly impossible it is for us to morally qualify for us on our own merits to be into the presence of God. The Apostle Paul has this beautiful, beautiful uh, word that begins with but. But now a righteousness from God has been made known apart from the law, which is ours by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, but, but in a contrast here is deliberate. Long ago, but in these last days, see it? God spoke, but God has spoken. Not just to our fathers, but to us not just by the prophets mind you but by the son so it's a it's a contrast meant to awaken us to the privilege of living at this particular moment in time in salvation history because you see the prophets were friends of god but jesus is the son of god the prophets could only grasp a portion of God's mind, but Jesus is God's mind. And the preacher to the Hebrews does not belittle the prophets, rather the preacher wants to amplify the Son. What was inaugurated by the prophets has been consummated by the Son. Who is, verse 2, the heir of all things, and literally created the ages. So he not only made the universe, but he made time itself. And like the eldest son in the ancient world, who received the lion's share of the father's inheritance, the son is heir of all things. And in case you may be wondering... What makes Jesus so different than the rest of God's children? Consider this. Jesus is the reason the rest of us can be God's children. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Verses 2 and 3 say, All that is seen and unseen exist at the word of God the Son. God the Son created ex nihilo, out of nothing, Humans do not have that kind of power. We've never made anything out of nothing. You come on over to my house and we'll have some dinner and we'll have some barbecue and you might say, Pastor, these ribs are wonderful. Where did you get these ribs? I'll modestly say, well, I've made those ribs. Not really. No, no, what really happened was this. I took a piece of pork that was already made and already butchered and already packaged and then I brought it home and I seasoned it and I smoked it and I grilled it on my Weber, which I didn't make either. So that is, I see, I took existing ingredients and followed a recipe. That's I mean, an oaky can do that. 
But on the other hand, the Son of God created ex nihilo. His is out of nothing power. And that's why the old preacher said that he stepped, God stepped out on nothing, stood on nothing, looked at nothing, spoke into nothing, and when he was done, nothing became something. God doesn't need ingredients. He doesn't need anything. He has no need. He didn't create us because he was lonely or bored. He created us because he is love, which means this. Look at me now. When you get to the point in your life when you have nothing to work with and you are out of resources and you have no strength and no energy and no reserves and no wherewithal, at that very point, you qualify for the power of God because God doesn't need anything. Oh, oh but there's more. The preacher says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Now, not he is like God's glory. No, 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 no. No, he is the radiance of God's glory. He's the bright. He isn't like the sun. He is the sun. He is the exact imprint of his character. That's what the literal Greek word is. Now, we think of the word character in terms of integrity and virtue, and that's true, and it, it's more. It is. It means... We, it means when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Think sunbeams from the sun. Think wax impression from the seal. Think the face of the coin from the die which minted the coin. In other words, Jesus is who God is and does what God does. And when we witness Christ in the gospel, we can say with confidence, well, God is like that. So, for instance, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and he was questioned about this by religious enemies. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. God's like that. In Mark chapter 3, in a synagogue service, a man with a withered hand showed up. And Jesus said, come here, stood him up, brought him to him. He just said, stretch out your hand. That, you didn't even touch him. He said, stretch out your hand. And as he did, he was healed. God is like that. In Luke 19, Jesus called out to a tax collector named Zacchaeus, an unpopular tax collector. He said, I want to eat at your house, Zacchaeus. Why? Because God loves like that. In John chapter 8, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, Jesus said, where are your accusers? Where did they go? Where are they? I don't know. I don't accuse you. Why? God is like that. On the cross, when the Romans nailed him to the tree, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what the God is like that. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. He is the God who heals. He's the God who cares. He is the God who is unashamed. He is the God of grace and mercy. And 
Hebrews says, he upholds the universe. He upholds ultimate reality by the word of his power. The one who created by the word of his power. Sustains by the word of his power. Question, who is sustaining you right now? Who is keeping you together right now? <laughs> I will, I, we can just stop right there at that question. Because up to now, we've been talking about the God who spoke and the God who has spoken. And, and we've been talking about, well, Jesus, yes. And you may be wondering, well, okay, but, but, but why? Why that? Why? Here's why. Let's get to the second question here. Why? Because Jesus is God's best word of encouragement for, here it is, weary hearts. Weary hearts. The Christians who first heard this sermon were living in extremely perilous times, unstable times. Um, and some of you may be wondering, well, you keep saying preacher. Well, who is the preacher? And I can say with confidence, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, some say it was Paul. Uh, probably not, but some say it was Paul. Apollos, um, Barnabas, uh, Priscilla of Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, um, 2,000 years later, we just don't know. And it's not going to be solved in this sermon or in this sermon series or by this pastor. We just don't know. And, okay, well then, pastor, who, 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 who was the congregation? Well, I don't know that either. Okay. You know, what have you been doing the last six weeks? <laughs> I've been learning what I don't know. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. We've got a little better idea about this congregation. Um, we know what they're going through more than we know where they are. Uh, but, but, but one clue as to the location where this message was sent comes from Hebrews 13, 24, which says, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. And then it says this, Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Now, I'll just say this very tentatively and with a huge, bold underline, I could be wrong. But the notion is, is that the preacher is writing to a house church in Italy, possibly Rome, and there are some of those members with the preacher, wherever the preacher happens to be, whoever the preacher is, and those folks are saying, in your letter, Greet our people for us, see. And so those who are from Italy send you greetings. You see what I'm saying? And it's possible that this could be Italy. It's possible that this could be Rome because at the time, Rome was demanding allegiance from Christians who would not worship the emperor or not worship the pagan gods. And it's not like the Romans believed in, in that the emperor was divine. It was just a good Roman thing to do. You don't even have to believe it, but just go through the motions. And the Christians were of such 
loyalty to Christ that they said, no, we cannot do that. We will not do that. And so the pressure to conform was was growing and increasing. The pressure's not going to go away. It's not. And so the pressure was such that, that, that they were considering going back to Judaism to escape persecution because Judaism was a permitted religion in the empire. Now listen to me. It's one thing to say that Christ is my all in all in times of peace. But when you're being harassed and beaten, when the pressure's not going to go away, that's quite another. And after a while, you start getting tired. And the church started getting tired. They started getting tired of serving, tired of keeping their prayer life going, tired of being a punching bag. They were even getting tired of Jesus, tired of being a Christian, tired of church. And they were losing confidence. Attendance was down at church. And the threat is not that they're going to just charge off into the wrong direction because they don't even have enough energy to charge off anywhere. They're like that, uh, that just raggedy volleyball named Wilson in Tom Hanks' Castaway that just kind of drifts off into the grand ocean. They're tired. They're tired and they're in danger of drifting. They're tired of walking the walk and so many are about to take a walk and abandon the church community. And fall away from the faith. Does anybody here feel like that? And you're afraid to say it in front of your preacher. I'll say it for you. Just tired of Jesus. Tired of Christianity. Just tired. And listen to me. If that is where you are, this letter is for you. And I want you to hear that. If that's where you are, Christ is the best word of encouragement. So, so Hebrews doesn't give you five tips, three strategies, seven points. We preachers like to do that. Start this, stop that, do this, try that. Listen to me. Droopy hands and wobbly knees don't need peppy gimmicks, improved group dynamics, or a mission statement rebranding. They just don't. The pressure is not going away. Listen to me. It's not. You're going to leave these glass doors. The pressure is waiting for you right out there. You will, before you even get off of this parking lot, the pressure is waiting for you. But so is Jesus. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so the answer to someone who is feeling tired of Jesus is more Jesus. <laughs> so this preacher just doubles down. And he doesn't skim across the surface according to the whims and fads of the congregation. He goes further in and deeper down to the hidden places where profound change takes place. And the most profound change is what Christ did where it says after making purification for sins. It doesn't mean Jesus offered a sacrifice. It means he was the sacrifice. 
There is no access to God apart from unforgiven sin. And there's only one person who can purify your sin, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why he went to the cross, and he kept digging. And he kept digging. He kept digging till he got to redemption, and he kept digging. He kept digging till he got to adoption, and he kept digging. He kept digging till he hit justification, until he hit mercy, until he hit grace. And then early one Sunday morning, he got up. He said, that's deep enough. We don't gather here on Sunday morning to commemorate a fallen religious holy man. We are here to direct our attention to the God-man exalted in the cosmos who is alive in the heavenly realm yes. and who is this god man jesus. jesus yeah look what the hebrew preacher says in verses one through four who is he he's the son he's the heir he's the creator he's the radiance he's the exact imprint He's the sustainer of reality and the purifier of sin. Oh, I'm not done because elsewhere in Hebrews, he's the son of God, the son of man, the great high priest, the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the Lord. He's the pioneer. He is the archegos, the champion. He is the perfecter. He's the sanctifier. He's the apostle. Jesus. Yes, yes. He's the cause of our salvation, the builder of God's house, the mediator of the new covenant. He's the prophet who has spoken, the king who suddenly reigns, and the high priest who has gone into the most holy place for us. He's all of that. and Every one of those names are in the message of Hebrews. But I think the preacher's favorite name is the name you just spoke, Jesus. Jesus so fix your eyes on Jesus that's chapter 2 verse 9 set your mind on Jesus that's chapter 3 verse 1 and strive with your heart toward Jesus that's chapter 4 verse 11 because Jesus is God's best last word he's the royal heir of the universe the uncontested king, and the supreme high priest. And if we keep our eyes on him, he will save us to the end. Jesus. If you don't like Jesus, you're not going to like this church. <laughs> but I hope you stick around anyway because Jesus is the best thought, the best word, and the best sermon God ever spoke. Oh, church family, I have talked only briefly. But I'm done. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here and giving your best, last final word in your son thank you that we are here having been purified by grace through faith in jesus oh god give us the strength 
to endure. May the water that you supply not only quench us, but may we be a reservoir of grace and mercy for this lost world. I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen.